0: Welcome to the broadcast. Every Arizona homeowner's best friend, thanks for
1: tuning in. It's Rosie on the house, your weekend wake up tradition. is
2: the for me.
0: Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour of Rosie on the house, your Saturday morning tradition. Since 1988, wrapping up this month of May, the last Saturday of the month, we have Farmer Greg joining us. As always, uh, Farmer Greg, we're talking native edibles, and you've got some incredible guests that you've brought with you today.
2: Oh, yes, yes, I do. Peggy Sue and Mike, they are with Desert Kitchen, and uh, they're amazing when it comes to understanding what we can eat in the desert. A
0: great topic and it fits right in with uh, native edibles and you've uh, Peggy Sue you've brought in quite a a collection here with your uh, picnic basket
3: yes I love to show and tell and allow people to see the plants that you know you pick and then some things that you can do with them so I'll give you a a few things to taste
0: well what's this one right here let's start with that one well they got a little leaf garnish on it
3: okay so I brought uh palo verde blue palo verde pods with beans that you can open and eat they're ripe right now
1: this is a current event i ate some this morning <laughs> and they were delicious off of our tre- one of our trees
0: and this just came right out of your native landscape
3: oh yard. yeah any, and they're all over
0: any the valley. palo
1: verde will have these so this one's a blue but any palo verde right now will have them. the foothills are coming next shortly behind
3: in about a week or two
1: wonderful those are the two main
3: kinds and they
2: they taste like edamame don't they they do okay.
1: I would
0: have to know what edamame tastes like to know if I compared how it compares to it, but it tastes fine to me. It yeah. tastes like a bean. It's, yes. it's a pretty sweet yeah.
1: bean, I think. Actually, mm-hmm. it's on the sweet side for a bean to me, anyway.
0: So let's let's dive right in. We're actually starting off today with the, uh, talking about mesquites because uh, those are coming to to harvest, basically. Yeah, you've got Mount Olive mesquite beans here.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> Oh, you recycled, recycled jar. the, you recycled we have, the we pickle the jar, I got it. With mesquite <laughs> beans,
2: yes. We have our annual mesquite bean and milling coming up that uh, Don Titmus and I started, oh, about 15 years ago. Uh, and about five years ago, we bought a mesquite bean mill. They're not cheap, they're about $15,000. Uh, and so it's an uh, annual event that we put on where we teach people how to harvests and we do that in two ways we have classes that people can take online which peggy sue and mike are going to be teaching here in the next few weeks and uh, and then we do walkabouts where people actually go to a place here in the valley and they walk about with one of our crew members and talk about how to harvest beans and then you harvest beans and what do you do with the bean once you harvest it
3: Peggy that's what we're going to explain there's a process well first you harvest it properly and that's from the tree and not from the ground so it's best to lay a tarp down and then you, you can if you can reach the limbs the you know you can pull the pods right off or if it's too high you can take a stick and knock them off if they're dry they'll fall off onto the tarp
0: leave the beans that are on the ground on the ground put the tarp down and then only gather exactly the new ones that come off the tree now what what's wrong with the ones on the off the ground
3: well there's a something called aflatoxin it's a a mold byproduct that is in the soil and with high heat and humidity that increases and it can become an issue or potentially could become an issue so it's just good harvesting practice
1: and aflatoxin is not unique to mesquites by any means this is a big issue for all kinds of beans especially peanuts, peanuts. Um, Corn. in the in the agricultural industry they are always testing for it uh making sure that they don't get it into the, our food stream and so we do the same thing you know with the mesquites we just are aware of how to avoid it and how to be smart and um it's it's not a nice thing, but it's something you simply avoid, and the problem is solved. And we do it every day when we eat peanuts.
3: And the average <laughs> healthy person, it's not a problem. If you eat it every day, and you have if your if your health is compromised, then perhaps that would be a problem. So, if you're elderly, or I wouldn't give my you know little you know someone who's who's not well. Well,
0: there's plenty of mesquite trees, and each tree cre- produces plenty of pods. So that's an understatement. Just, just don't even worry about. Uh, what's on the ground. What's on the ground. So we're on the site. We spread out a tarp. We've knocked down what we can by hand, get a mm-hmm. stick, shake the branches however you can. Uh, okay.
3: And and we did miss a step. So before you want to harvest from a tree, you want to make sure that tree, that the pods taste good. Not every tree, even if they were all planted at the same time, there are different levels of sweetness. And you may get one that just uh, might have a little bad aftertaste so i like to harvest the sweetest pods so what you do is you pick up pick a pod and you break it and put it in your mouth and suck on it and then lightly chew the pod to taste the the flavor of the pulp around the bean it's you're not actually eating the bean okay and would you like to taste it sure here you go
1: and we are talking about the brown dried beans. The green beans are not ready. So we're looking for them to be brown and dry and snappy.
3: Yeah, the green beans are not ripe. Um, I've, I, I don't eat it that way. I wait. I, this is the right way to eat it. Okay. <laughs> but when so, you chew on
1: it, you do get a real interesting flavor.
0: Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And I will save the chewing for the break. I've just been sure. sucking on it now, and it does have a, a very edible flavor now.
3: So here's some flour that I brought, so you can taste it a little and bit better.
0: This is what happens when it gets from
3: you grind it up. You take it to the mill
0: from here to the mill. No, are we missing any steps? Jumping to here, where we talked about. Well, you do want to tree, prepare them. Testing the tree. We have the tree. We're going to put a tarp down. We knock the tarp off. We collect them. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, then what? Just take them straight to the mill, or
3: no? There is a process. You want to. First of all, um, just go lay them out and pick through any green pods that might have come off the tree, and any stems or leaves, remove those, and then you want to uh, dry the beans. So you can dehydrate them, you can put them in the oven on, let's say, 300 for approximately 30 minutes, but you, every oven is different, so keep an eye on it. and. Um, check them maybe every 15, 10 or 15 minutes. And when they're completely dry, then you can store them in a food-grade bucket save it for the milling.
0: So I've got all these bean pods. They've mm-hmm. been collected, sorted through, baked out. Um, now, I, am I saving them inside the casing like this, or do I have to break the casing
1: no, you cannot. Oh. These beans, are, there's a technical term, I think it's inahescent or something along those lines, that these are inseparable. When you are milling this thing, you're going to mill the pod and the beans together. Okay. And the flavor, the protein, uh, everything about it is, is in both together. And this is one reason we need that hammer mill. These things are, are hard, they're inseparable, and we need that hammer mill to, to do it. Is this why it costs $15,000, <sighs> Farmer Greg?
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, the thing sits on a trailer, um, and it's about a 20-foot-long trailer, and when it's fully assembled, it stands about 15 feet tall, so it's now, pretty epic,
1: actually. And folks ask all the time, can I just put these in my grain mill? Because I make flour all the time from wheat, oats, whatever, and the answer is no. And the reason is, what makes these beans so great is good old sugar. This These beans are full of sugar. You can it, taste it. It,
0: it when I tasted that spoonful that you gave me just a moment ago, I thought in my mind, like, there's, like,
1: brown sugar added to Brown this. sugar. That's exactly it. Well, it has been added by the tree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These things are full of sugar. That's why people love them. They love them for the same reason they love... Anything this sweet, these are delicious because of the sugar. So you put these in a stone mill, and your stone is gummed up in seconds. You're going to be very sorry if you do that. So do not put them in a stone mill. You can put them in herb mills and, and things like that. But for the most part, the hammer mill is the way to get the job done. And since uh, Greg fortunately provides that to the city, we have a way to, to do it. Which was my next point. Uh, instead of going out and buying
0: my own $15,000 grain mill, I just bring these pod beans, these mesquite mm-hmm. beans, and buckets already prepared, dried out, cooked, just like uh, you'd gone through. And I bring them to Farmer Greg's Hammer Mill and y'all ground them up there?
3: Yeah. Yeah,
2: Yeah, exactly. We have a whole team set up. It'll be the uh, last day of June, June 30th and July 1st. We do it over a course of two days and people can set up an appointment on our website. And uh, we do charge. Uh, We charge for the finished flour There's a fee per pound, um, but it's nominal and just helps pay for the insurance and that kind of stuff.
0: Well, and the time for the people to be there, the mill itself, I mean, it obviously has an expense. But if I go out and collect, let's say, two five-gallon buckets full of mesquite beans and pods, how much flour will that produce on the back end? Or do you all have any kind of, you know, ratio scale
1: to to judge by it'll be several pounds if you had two five gallon buckets you'd be good for a chunk of the year in terms of baking up some nice goodies with them and when you yeah. said a tree
0: has a plethora of pods being an understatement I mean one tree you could easily and, fill up more than a five gallon bucket if yeah. you found the right mature tree
1: and when I'm talking about understatement I'm thinking about the fact that if you looked at all the mesquites in Arizona we could live off this stuff I mean we <laughs> mean in Phoenix you know, um, this food was the staple food for the people, basically from the Pacific Coast to the Gulf of Mexico. This is an in, this is a staple food, and there is a lot of it out there, and we we can really enjoy this stuff because it's so darn good tasting. But yeah, people that's have why we want to spread the word.
0: Well, we appreciate you joining us this Saturday talking native edibles, and we're starting with the mesquite uh, bean pod that are coming into harvest. We've got a few more talking points to hit on the, the mesquite bean harvesting, but we're also going to be talking about Palo Verde beans, Ironwood beans, Prickly Pear fruit, saguaro, uh fruit, Cholla, ca- uh, Barrel Cactus. There's a lot out there that uh, is in our desert kitchen.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, it is the desert kitchen. We'll be back with Farmer Greg and his guests of thedesertkitchen.net right after this. continuing our conversation in the outdoor living hour on native edibles farmer greg with urban farm Uh, where would people find out about this mesquite milling event coming up you had mentioned uh, they could register ahead of time how does somebody uh, get proactive in that
2: very good so if you go to urbanfarmevents.com that will take you to our calendar page at urban farm and what you'll see there next month so you'll have to flip into June, but you'll see two classes that are online. They're on Zoom with uh, Peggy, Sue, Mike, and Don Titmus and Janice. And they'll be educating people on how to actually go out into your yard and, and harvest beans and process them and get them ready to be pro- milled. And then uh, we have the three walkabouts on two different Saturdays where you can meet uh, Peggy, Sue, Mike, Don, Janice at different parts of town to. You know, actually go and harvest beans and learn how to do that. So, urbanfarmevents.com.
0: And these are properties that y'all have permission to go gather.
2: Oh yes. Well, one's Granada Park, one's Rio, Lotto, Rio Salado Park in Tempe, and then there's a park out in West Phoenix and in, uh, in Peoria that we uh, that we have been harvesting for for years actually.
0: And. Peggy, see, when I'm looking at this bean, it's mm-hmm. got a bunch of holes in it. Do I need to throw this one out?
3: No, actually, uh, shortly after the pod ripens, uh, this, what's called a brooked beetle, drills a hole and it comes
1: out. These are beetles that were put in, the, the the eggs were put in when it was a flower. In other words, this is not a hole where something drills in. This is a hole where something is drilled out. So oh. you're happy to see that it's left and you don't have that extra protein in your bean,
3: but it's not uncommon. Um,
1: <laughs> but yeah, they're not a problem. There's nothing in there. It means it means something
3: thing If you see something uh, flying around, if you bring them in your house, they may fly around a little bit, and they go to the window, and they don't last very long. They don't. They're not a real pest.
1: And speaking of protein, this is a very high-protein bean. Uh, the beans themselves are among the highest-protein beans there are. They're like 40%. It's outrageous. The When you mix it in with the pod, which is what we have to do, it brings the whole thing down to 20-some percent. But it's just, this is a high-protein flour, which, again, is why it's so good for us and such a good uh, actual staple food.
3: And that's why you want to have it milled at with a hammer mill to get that seed, to get the protein out. It's
2: it can sustain life what's happening is when you bring your beans in they're dry and you you, they snap so Mm -hmm. you know they're dry enough if you break them in half and they snap and just to clarify we're milling the husk of the bean as well Mm -hmm. as the bean itself or the protein in the beans
3: yeah the sweetness is in the pulp so that's a big part of you know, the, the outside and the seed are, or the seed encasing is sifted out. And
0: once I have this mesquite flour and I'm taking it home,
3: mm-hmm.
0: what do I do with it? Well,
3: well, it's a gluten-free flour. And you could use it in place of any, like, almond, coconut flour, or it, any recipe that you have with wheat flour, you can replace one fourth or one third of a cup of regular flour with mesquite flour and just give it a try and you know, experiment.
1: There's a number of uh, good uh, resources. There's a book uh, comes out of a group in Tucson called Desert Harvesters called Eat Mesquite and More. That's probably the most famous of the mesquite cookbook recipe books, but you can just use it for any gluten-free flour. Most people, many people will tell you, you can't cook with or can't bake with 100% mesquite flour. I can tell you that that is not true. You can do it. It uh, takes a little extra effort. You've got to cook it low and slow. Um, but this is, a, this is a very nice gluten-free flour with extra sweetener in it. You can literally reduce the sugar in your recipe. You can literally cut it to half or even go, a lot of times I'll bake with things like applesauce to where I can have a no sugar added recipe. This is so sweet. And that's, that's one of the big rewards here. You get a flour that allows you to reduce the sugar that you're adding in. Can you give me your top three recipes off the top of I, your head?
3: I can give you the recipe of what I made. Okay. It's a mesquite ball. And it's really simple. I mix uh, equal parts mesquite flour with peanut butter or any nut butter. And then I add a, just a touch of honey because it's a good binder. I didn't do it today, but I you can roll it in more mesquite flour or in cacao or carob flour, sunflower seeds, sesame seeds, anything. and Or even these seeds right here that I brought <laughs> that I'll be telling you about. The main, so it makes a, a nice, simple treat.
1: The main product that people make with this, you'll see it done around, is mesquite pancakes. This is a nice-tasting pancake. Um, another uh, way to equate this flavor or understand this flavor is people think it tastes a little like graham crackers. So think of a graham cracker-flavored pancake. A graham cracker pancake. And I'll tell you, uh, a mesquite with chocolate With prickly chip. pear syrup on it. Exactly. exactly. You mm-hmm. are quite correct. And a chocolate chip cookie made with this is a wondrous thing. People want that. As soon as they have it, they want more. This cool. is a great chocolate chip cookie base.
0: That's
3: what he likes to bake. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: and
1: eat a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. I really, Amen to that. <laughs> we, we get a second and a third around the, the studio. I really liked that uh, mesquite ball. You, you, and, I mean, I'm a sucker for anything with peanut butter in it to begin with. But mm-hmm. that's just peanut butter, mesquite flour, and a little honey for binding. That's just yes, three that's ingredients. It. That's mm-hmm. it.
1: Roll it up into a ball. You can dust it in things like cinnamon sugar, all kinds of stuff. You can do all kinds of fun stuff chocolate chips, whatever.
0: Very good. Well, we've got the desertkitchen.net. Peggy Sue and Mike cloud joining us in studio with farmer Greg talking native edibles here at Rosie on the house. We've been covering primarily the, the mesquite pod beam because that is coming into, because that is coming into harvest and you can get more details about when and where to take your mesquite pods at urban It's just a two day event. So make sure you sign up ahead of time when we get back more native More native edibles here with Farmer Greg. On the house, we've been talking with Farmer Greg on native edibles, and he's got guests in studio with us today, Peggy Sue and Mike Clow of thedesertkitchen.net. We've been talking about gathering and harvesting mesquite beans and pods to make mesquite flour. We've got a lot of other edibles to talk about, but before we jump off onto... Uh, some of the smaller ones. You guys want to finish the other edible trees before we moved on.
3: Sure. Well, there are a lot of edible trees, and not all of them are native. People don't even realize, just for example, there are carob trees that grow here in the valley, olive trees, oak trees. You know, you can actually eat acorns. You just have to process them. But for the natives, there's uh and ironwood trees. And they both produce beans, and they're really quite good. And like the the blue Palo verdes that I brought today, they're they're tender, they're uh, tasty, kind of buttery. And you open up the pod, take them out,
1: just like a regular bean pod.
3: Or you could boil them in salt water and just eat them like edamame, which you know is kind of easy to just they pop right out of the the pod
0: and I guess that kind of answered a question I was going to ask could I take mesquite and ironwood and palaverdi all together and get it milled at once but it sounds like the ironwood you have to separate so that would be a they're very a no on that one they're very
1: different because with the Palo Verde, we're talking about a normal quote-unquote being in a pod versus the mesquite is very unusual with this bean and pod together and all this sugar and a very different flavor so you would you would handle these separately they're very different foods do they ripe separately yes okay Uh, they're all in this summertime season but uh, the thing to to be aware of that's a bit of a surprise to most folks you look out across the desert picture a sonoran desert scene looking out across there are all these trees they're all legumes these are all bean trees because when you look out across the desert you're seeing mesquites and palo and ironwoods you're seeing bean trees this desert is covered in beans and people don't realize it. It's they're all bean trees.
3: And it's really my desire to inform people so they, they're aware, you know, if there's a reason there isn't food around, they're not walking on their pods, on the you know, bean pods saying, I'm hungry, you know. <laughs> when you're walking on your food. <laughs>
0: or- not a curiosity. Is there a place I can just go buy it without doing all the harvesting side of it? Does anybody? Yes, uh,
1: mesquite flour is available at Whole Foods and others. However, an interesting point about that is most of that is imported from South America, and their mesquites are not as good as our
3: mesquites. They, they actually we have don't the good taste stuff. good at all. People don't, we They'll have the good say stuff. they'd like it, <laughs> but then I let them taste a native mesquite, and they are amazed how much better it tastes.
0: And let's move on to some of the other things we talked about. Uh, dusting the top of a mesquite pancake with some prickly pear jelly yes
3: uh-huh. <laughs> well prickly pears uh they p- do produce r- uh, really nice fruit uh, you have to harvest them with tongs because they have glochids, which are little hairs that get into your skin and you know it can be very irritating so you know harvest carefully uh gather and uh, it's best just to wash them off while they're in the bucket, uh, give them a good rinse, and then uh, what I learned from Greg was to put them into a gallon jar, like a glass jar, and stick them in the freezer, and when they thaw, you have you know, like half the jar full of juice, and then you strain out the seeds and the, the skin.
1: For the most part, with prickly pears, the juice is what you're after. And then you take that juice and you make your jellies, your syrups, your all kinds of stuff. And Farmer Greg, that's the
0: pear fruit separates itself by freezing it. Is that what?
2: Yeah, what I've found. So those little glockens, those little gnarly thorns, you don't want to get into those. And what I found was that by freezing the prickly pears, first of all, it it. it explodes the cells inside the prickly pear so that when it thaws it goes to mush so it makes it a whole lot easier to get the juice from plus interestingly those glockens go away when you freeze Mm -hmm. they basically dissolve Mm -hmm. yeah exactly so and and prickly pears prickly pears were the first thing that i ever harvested out of the desert in the mid 70s we went we used to go to uh, cole's ranch oh wow uh, every summer and mom figured out that we could stop on the way back from Cole's Ranch and get a bucket of them and make this really cool color juice that tasted great so I've been harvesting prickly pears for decades and interestingly enough on the road the other day here in North Carolina I was driving along the road and I saw a prickly pear cactus wow. that had fruit on it Wow. So I actually went and knocked on the owner's door the other day and asked if I could take a couple of pads and I'm going to make my own prickly pears.
1: (laughs) Nice, nice. Prickly pears are the best known, I think, of all the Arizona desert uh, foods because prickly pear jelly is in every store practically in one form or another. And the thing that people don't know though is the health benefits of this are really significant. This thing is packed with antioxidants, it's packed with flavones, it is uh, glycemic regulating in Mexico, it is uh, prescribed by mainstream medicine for diabetic c- scenarios. Um, it's good for cholesterol regulation. If you have prickly pear uh, pads, I'm talking about now in the morning, uh, you can uh, you can really reduce your cholesterol. This is an amazingly healthy food, both the pads and the fruits. And I was going to mention the pads because you
0: you said prickly pear jelly. You, know, you can find that in almost any grocery store. Occasionally, you see the, the pad, the cactus pad Absolutely. itself. Yeah, they is, call them
1: nopales in the in the uh, Hispanic tradition, and, and you'll find them in Food City and such. And that's a good—you uh, you slice them up and saute them, and serve them with some steak, and it's good, good food, mm-hmm. just green, good food. So that's the whole prickly pear cactus. It's the fruit and the petal. But
0: the fruit itself has a blooming season. Can you harvest and eat the pad at any
3: time? Well, it's best when the pads first develop, so when they're smaller than your hand, uh, they they don't have as many glockets and thorns on them, and it's just, they don't, they're, it's not as fibrous inside. That's the way I like them.
1: Soft, theme. new pads mm-hmm. are the best. Okay. And they
3: can get year-round,
1: but there are certain times when there are more of them.
3: Well, when you break off a pad, then it will grow another one, mm-hmm. and so you can keep, Keep it going. That's
1: what Greg was saying. He's just going to take a pad, stick it in the ground, and he's going to have a prickly pear plant.
3: Yeah.
2: Well, and then the, the next thing that I that we want to talk about on our list is saguaro. And oh, I have to tell you, I learned to eat saguaro fruit about twenty years ago, and this is the fruit. Of the gods. Oh, this is the best <laughs> stuff in the desert. It is. Oh, you brought some to them, Peggy. <laughs> yes. I oh my gosh, Romy, you're gonna—it's—it's. It's, this is the best. it, the it best. looks a little Why funny. Tell us about it, Mike.
1: It looks a little funny, but this is the best tasting fruit. I—I I never knew about this. This people don't know about this, but uh, you take a bite of this and you'll be like, wow, this is candy. You know, it's like a kind of a dried fruit roll-up with poppy seeds in it. Um, it's got zillions of these seeds. These tiny, tiny seeds will grow into giant saguaros, and um, you can actually plant some of those. But, um, yeah, this is candy, and it, it falls off the, um, falls off the uh, cactus on its own. If you, but if you want to harvest it, uh, Peggy can tell you all about harvesting it.
3: Okay, so I, what I do is I take um, like a 22-foot extension pole, painting pole, and I and have a roller extension, paint yeah. roller extension. Yeah, I put this roller on the end of it and knock them down and ha- have someone with a fishing net catch them. And that's become, you know, I'm kind of perfecting this. So <laughs> <laughs> you get out early in the morning before, you know, it gets too hot and the sun's in your eyes. And
0: because they come to bloom at right, the hottest time of the year.
3: Absolutely. Everything good. They, they is bloom white in the middle of the summer.
1: Then there'll be a green bud where the bloom was, and then it'll split open. And when it split up, splits open, the inside is red. So when you see the red, that means you want that harvest time. And all Just the birds see. want it, all the mice want it, all the rodents want it, all the reptiles want it. Every every mm-hmm. animal in the desert wants this stuff, and they used all to. All the harvest humans it. want it. Absolutely. <laughs> Once you taste it, you'll be like, yeah, I want more. But they used to use the poles made from the saguaro uh, ribs back in the old indigenous days and now we have other kinds of poles but this is some work you got to go to to get up there but my gosh it's worth it
0: and what you get just gave us to eat that was just straight from the saguaro no absolutely uh, nothing made nothing no, nothing down afterwards i was just that's, the, that's what comes out of the the plan very interesting i I've, I've never had that before
3: most people haven't
0: and You know, squirrels are a protected plant. That flower is our state flower. Are there any regulations you have to be aware of if you're going and harvesting these out in the
1: wild? harvest for personal purposes is, is basically legal anywhere and it's the same old thing as anything private property
0: off
3: of BLM mm-hmm. Bureau of Land management
1: just so long as you're not using like tree spikes to climb up the
3: soil. Never. <laughs> yeah. yeah
1: or if you're doing commercial that's obviously different but um, that's why we use you can't obviously pole. harvest anything in the national parks or national monuments but generally speaking it's not a problem
3: but private property if you know someone with a soro that's probably best mm-hmm
1: very interesting. Well, and
0: then we've got the next one down, choya buds.
3: Yes. Oh boy. Now, uh, now
0: choya is you know, people that know choya think you know very bad. is This oh, yeah. is the nasty Scary. cactus. Scary. Well,
3: there there is there's the teddy bear cactus that um, I. I'll tell you about that first. Okay. So they're the ones that you know, are called jumping cactus and they can stick in you and you you really need to be careful. Much pain. Put a put a comb, get a comb or something and because you can't grab it and take it off. It'll just keep
0: It's like a porcupine. It
3: is. But that is actually edible. And most people do not know that. And you can <laughs> <laughs> this is a
1: good food for shock value. You can say, oh, yeah, I was munching on a choya the other day, and people are going to say, wait, what?
3: Okay. So I'm almost one of the only people who have eaten a choya, but I, I'm introducing people to this. So I put it on the grill and just burn off the, all of the thorns and glockheads. And inside, it's just this, this moist cucumber. Hmm. Yeah, It's good.
1: So you should never starve when you're walking across the desert. It's, they're out there,
3: but then the choya buds are from uh, a, a little bit different type of choya, and you you harvest those the first two weeks of April, and you process them very similar to uh, prickly pear fruit. You know, take the st- them off with tongs, and you can actually I burn the glockets off, and then I boil it for ten minutes.
1: That's the staghorn choya. It's a skinnier one, not as dangerous.
0: But just as ever much annoying if you get stuck with it.
1: (laughs) Um, It's not that bad. You don't get stuck with those much. They're they're strong, but they're not out to get you like the jumping ones are. Like the
0: the teddy bear one? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And they say jumping. A lot of people say it's heat-seeking, but they're really not. (laughs) Not, not, It seems like you walk by and it grabs you, but if you just touch the tiniest bit of it, it'll swing around and get you. And like the very point of it, it's got a reverse bar, so like when it – Pulls your skin; it actually hooks it because oh, the way the is. Then, into your flesh. And then there's Pain. so many thousands of them. Oh if you get God. one on it, you got ten. If you got ten, you got a hundred. Pain so is unimaginable. They say it's jumping, but uh, it, there's nothing about it that nothing. knows your presence. Nothing. It's just nothing. If, if if you touch it, though, you know it's it, designed to get you, but it can't move. Well, I mentioned it as we started the broadcast. We always have a choice on what bullet points to hit and not hit as we wrap up the segment. Farmer Greg, on your native edibles, where do you want to focus from here as we wind down the final segment?
2: Well, there are a bunch of little, little things that we may not have even thought about. Uh, wolfberries is one of them, and you may have seen those in the grocery store, kind of marketed as uh, something else, like, uh, what do they call them, goji berries? That's the same family, isn't that right, Peggy? That's right.
0: What kind of plant does that come off of?
3: It's a shrub.
0: And where do I find those in the desert? In washes, up against the foothills? Where Where do I find a shrub that has a wolfberry on it?
1: They're They're fairly evenly distributed. Um, they get more um, They bear more fruit farther north and at the higher altitudes. But uh, yeah, they're 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 kind of just around. They're not necessarily some of these like Like washes, like mesquites. And Palo verdes but these are ones you'll find are randomly scattered and then we've got what's a desert uh devil's claw excuse me
3: well it's this plant that uh produces a wicked claw-like fruit when it's when it's dried but Pick- when it's young let's say um one and a half to three inches long i'd like to just put it in pickle juice
1: and when they dry up they have seeds inside that are a little like sunflower seeds and they're strange looking they have a big picture two supersized fishing hooks really supersized three four inches long next to each other at one. an angle and they're you look at that and you're like wow is that an alien plant you know and they're they're designed to hook onto the hoof of a traveling like cow or deer or whatever and they're really good at their job you'll be out hiking and you'll look down and one will be hooked on your ankle and you won't even know it and you will have spread its seeds for miles you know they're really good at their jobs and I have picked up numerous of those on the heel
0: or top of the shoe yep. or around the calf. That They're designed knee.
1: specifically yes. for that, and
0: they do it well. And they hang – yeah, interesting. I, I did not know that, that what that plant was. So how do I eat that plant? At the point it's attached to my leg, I would assume it's probably too late.
3: Oh, You could only eat the seeds. Okay. So the seeds, you have to open it up like a sunflower seed. It has a coating, so you eat inside.
0: Very cool. Uh, there's a, a number of different uh, yuccas that are of Yeah, not yuccas, yuccas.
3: Yes. Uh, there's a banana yucca that produces a really nice fruit. It looks sort of like a banana. And when it is ripe, it is so sweet and so good.
1: And then the agave, which looks sort of like a yucca but different, that was, again, a staple food. Um, the agave is uh, called the century plant plant. Uh, They thought it only bloomed once in every 100 years. It turns out it blooms after 30 or 40 years, but it basically puts all of its energy into one bloom at the end of its life. And then they make these 20-foot tall flower stems. They're really impressive. So if you catch it right before it puts that stem up, it's got a huge energy source that it has been storing for years and years. And so the natives would learn where they were at, dig them up, break everything off of them, really hard work, dig a big old pit, put them all in the pit, the uh, women would gather it, and the men would dig the pit, if I remember right. And the thing is, there's enough food in there to feed your family for a good part of the year. As they're, they're huge, giant, underground sources of food energy.
3: It's called a, an agave heart.
1: And how would I know when it's getting ready to send that shoot up? This is a thing that they learn, that folks learned back in the, in the old days. Uh, there are certain tricks. You, you look for an opening in the middle of the agave. Um, it starts to open and make a flat spot. Normally it's full of these uh, big spiky leaves, but there, there'll be a, an opening. You'll start to see a flat spot where it's getting ready to send that shoot up. So that's what that's one of the things they teach their young, the folks would teach their young, and it, people would all know, you know how to spot that, but it is kind of a, a skill. And
0: that is the key indicator that it's time to harvest. There's actually several that
1: I don't even remember. (laughs) They dig up the whole agave? Yeah, yeah. You dig it all out of the ground. And and keep in mind, these are folks that didn't have picks and jackhammers. No. (laughs) And so this is hard work. But the reward is you feed your family really well. Interesting. And then what's a chia seed?
3: Chia. Chia -chia pet? Yeah. (laughs) Same thing. Well, there's a native chia plant in the deserts. So,
1: and this is a tasty seed. It's you know it's uh, just like it's the exact same chia seed you buy it in the store, mm-hmm. and uh, really crunchy, really good nutty flavor, and a whole lot of nutrients. And you actually have a, a category on here for weeds.
3: Yes, I love teaching about the edible weeds because you don't have to go into the desert. You don't. I mean, everyone has weeds popping up in their yard, and they hate them. You know, why not turn that into something you love? And just for example, what's starting to come up right now in the summer is purslane. And it's a little succulent plant that tastes lemony. And um, I throw that in pickle juice. I mean, anything's good in pickle juice, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And and it's just like a a relish, a pickle relish. And then there's mallow. Um, Now, these rest of them are, uh, mallow and London Rocket are cool weather Plants, but I make mallow chips and there's just like kale chips. And London Rocket, you can make, you, you can throw it into a salad or make a pesto. But tumbleweed, the last one that I have here, is the first weed that I ever ate. Yes, you can eat tumbleweed. If it's young, you can uh, trim the tips and saute it or dry it and grind it into a flour. It's very nutritious.
2: I do I do need to jump in and put a warning out there. There is an app that you can get for your phone called Seek S E E K. Before you eat anything out of the desert, before you forage anything from a forest, make sure you know what you're eating. Um, we're not suggesting that you go out and eat things out of the desert, but if you're gonna do that, make sure that you know what you're eating
0: it's urbanfarm.org and if somebody wanted to sign up for the mesquite uh milling it's urbanfarmevents.com where they can go uh, learn how to get signed up for the mesquite farming and you'll be here next talking about plan your water we're going
2: to be talking all about water water harvesting
0: farmer greg of the urban farm thank you peggy sue Sorensen and mike clow of the desert kitchen.net thank y'all it's been a pleasure
3: thank you very much